I was doing a little homework that week, this week on that song because I, I hear that like wayward son thing and like I've been around the Bible just enough to think, oh, is that like the prodigal son kind of thing? There's this story in the Bible about a son who rebels against his father, goes off and does his own thing, ends up like in the worst place in life, comes back expecting his dad to be totally dismissive of him and instead finds that the father is so thankful, so full of love and so forgiving toward his wayward son. And so I'm thinking, but that could just be like, you know, I'm making these associations. Well, I checked it out, and, and Kerry Livgren, the guitarist for Kansas who wrote that song, that's exactly what he was thinking of. And he actually put it in his own words this way. He says, it's an autobiographical song. Parallel to my music career, I've always been on a spiritual sojourn, looking for truth, looking for meaning. So it was a song of self-encouragement to carry on. I was telling myself to keep on looking and I would find what I sought. Now, I love that he shares that because there are times we feel wayward. And maybe that means like we know we've made mistakes like the prodigal son did. Other times it means we're just not sure where we're headed. We're not sure what is true. We hear a lot of voices and can that really be who God is? Is that really what I'm supposed to do with my life? Is any of this what it seems to be? And so as a song of encouragement, think about what he's saying. Even when you feel wayward, carry on. Don't give up. Keep exploring. Because as we think about this metaphor of the wilderness, if you're wayward in the wilderness, if you're off the path, if you're lost somewhere and you don't know the way back, if you don't carry on, what happens? You just die in the wilderness. <laughs> like, I was at the uh, nature center with my kids yesterday, and we took a path that was a little bit longer than we realized. And one of my kids especially was like, I can't do it. I'm not going to make it. I'm like, I think we just keep going because he'll catch up eventually, right? Like if I stop, we're all going to stop. It takes even longer. And finally I realized he needed someone to come alongside him and help him realize you can do it, but I will help you. And, and literally he like held my hand the rest of the way. Like that made the difference. It's still his legs pumping, but he needed someone to say carry on. See, that's for us. Because in this series, we're calling this Adventures with God, because you may not realize this, but there was a period in history when God literally took his people on an adventure through the wilderness. And if they got wayward, if they went off the path literally and spiritually that he had designed for them, they would die in the wilderness. So what do you do when you're lost in the wilderness? What do you do when you feel like you're wayward? Well, let's be really practical about this. When it comes to like a camping situation, what they tell you is, the first thing to do when you're lost, don't panic. I actually heard a story about a husband and a wife, true story, that they had a fight. And instead of just going for a drive, he decided he was going to grab some gear with no skills and no further preparation and just go out into the woods to get away from it all. Guys, they found him three days later, 10 miles away from where he started because he didn't know what he was doing and he didn't know what he, to do when he got lost. He ended up running in his panic even farther away. So don't fight with your spouse, <laughs> right? But okay, here's what to do if you get lost in the wilderness. The first thing is identify a landmark, something big like a tree that you can see from a distance. Of course, there are bigger trees than this, but it can't just be a tree because a lot of trees can look the same. So you take some part of your gear, especially if it's highly visible. This is one of our nature bags we were using at the Nature Center yesterday. You put that on your landmark. 
okay? Now this becomes home base. Then you just walk 50 paces away from home base, still with a sight line, and see if you find the path. If not, that's okay. Then you just move around the compass, north, east, south, west, 50 paces each direction. If you still haven't found the path, you do it again, 75 paces, 100 paces, always drawing a straight line back to home base because that helps you find your way back to the path without panic. So as God takes his people on an adventure in the wilderness and they're living in tents and they're looking for paths, he wants to give them a way that no matter what it is that has gotten them wayward, he can bring them back to a path of forgiveness. Now he didn't use a bright orange collection bag, but he uses something that sticks out just as much, just as kind of strange to be in the wilderness. He uses two goats. So Chad's got a video here for us in just a minute where he's showing you the tabernacle. That's the big tent where they would worship God on this adventure and how two goats point toward forgiveness. So I'm just going to tell you, we couldn't find any goats. So as you're watching, Chad is going to talk about the two goats that are actually, I think, sheep. (laughs) So don't let it distract you and don't tell Chad. Let's watch. When God led his people out of Egyptian bondage, he took them on a camping adventure to a new land of promise. And during that time, he taught them how to build an altar to find forgiveness, as well as a giant movable tent they called the tabernacle. This was a place where heaven and earth overlapped, a place where forgiveness was not only possible, it was guaranteed. Now this altar that sat in front of that tent It had four horns on each corner, and each of those corners was a place of refuge, a place where people who'd been unfaithful, unkind, rebellious, people like you and I, who don't even live up to our own standards, could come and find a God who forgives and a God who forgets. Have you ever heard the term scapegoat? I think in our culture it's got a negative connotation, but it's the idea in our culture that you know somebody evil got away with it because somebody innocent got scapegoated here. Well, that idea, that term comes from this Jewish ceremony. You see, the priest's job was to find two goats and to lead people into God's forgiveness. And part of doing that was finding two goats. It says in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 5. He shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats, as one a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering. So the priest would find these two goats and then he would cast lots. Think of it like rolling of the dice. Which one's the lucky one that uh, ends up escaping and which one is the one that ends up dying? Whoever was the highest number, so to speak, is the one that would escape. That's the scapegoat. He, he got to go free. The other one became the sacrificial goat. This one is the sacrificial goat. So the, the priest would come before it and place his hand on the goat, a symbol that everything he had done wrong, everything the people of God had done wrong, was being transferred into this goat. Then this goat, sadly, would end up dying to offer forgiveness or cover what they'd done wrong. Now, that's weird to us. It's almost gruesome to us. But it's really a symbol that God was willing to allow something innocent to die so that you could be freed or you could be forgiven. 
Now, the other goat was a scapegoat. This was the lucky one. The priest would also transfer, by putting his hand onto that goat, a symbol of the transference of all the wrongdoing to this goat. Well, this goat didn't die. He was the scapegoat. He would actually be led out into the wilderness and be allowed to go free. A symbol that he had escaped punishment. Also a symbol that God separates us from our wrongdoing. God forgives and God forgets. See, God wants us all to go on an adventure with him. And the adventure is knowing that your guilt can be covered, your shame can be covered up, and you can know a God, a God who wants you to know that he both forgives and forgets. Now, if you look up a baby mountain goat, it actually does look a lot like that, so we'll, we'll give him a little slack. But I wonder, when you hear that term, the goat, what do you think of? Maybe it's a nice farm animal, like we just saw in the video, but I'll bet a lot of you think of the acronym greatest of all time. I feel like that is in tremendous overuse these days. <laughs> like, there's like three greatest of all times active in their sport at any moment. But maybe you think of Michael Jordan. Maybe you think of Jack Nicklaus. You know, maybe you think of Simone Biles. We heard that one a lot during the Olympics. She literally had a little sparkly goat looking like the animal embroidered on her uniform because everyone's agreed she's the greatest of all time. And what I think is really interesting about that for us because we have both of those associations, we're going to play with that metaphor a little bit. Because I wonder, when you hear the goat, could you think of Jesus? Because God is actually going to use both parts of this metaphor. Both the animal and the sense of one who is the greatest of all time to show us how he leads us back to the path. In fact, it's that metaphor that allows us to answer the question, where... Do I find the path to forgiveness? Where do I find the path to forgiveness? So we're actually going to jump into that same book that Chad just mentioned, a historical book called Leviticus. Now this is Old Testament. So you've got to understand, the Old Testament is the part of the Bible before Jesus lived. So it was all history that was leading up to and pointing to Jesus. In fact, later in the Bible it will say, when you read the Old Testament... It's literally all a shadow. It's all foreshadowing who Jesus was going to be, even the stuff that we're looking at today. And so in the book of Leviticus, in chapter 16, we hear about this scapegoat. This, this is what it says in verse 9. And Aaron shall bring the goat. So Aaron is their high priest. He's the one that stands before the people in front of God. It says, Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness. What? <laughs> Makes perfect sense, right? So next week, you know what, I'll just let you go. Everyone take this next week, find two goats, bring them back, and we'll get this thing taken care of, right? No, like, let's just own this. It sounds really weird, and that's okay, because if you think about it, when they're on this adventure in the wilderness, this is all brand new to them, too. They have never needed two goats before. They've never heard the word scapegoat before. They've never had to do this thing, and how does this relate to forgiveness, and why is he putting his hand on them, and... This is strange. This is unusual. God is marking home base. 
He's putting something bright and visible and obvious so that they know this is unique. Something special is happening here. And so he brings in this term scapegoat. Every time you've heard that word, it's actually pulled from this moment in history. So as much as it can sound like, like as I was reading it this week, it kept reminding me of, of that weird moment in Monty Python when he's reading about the holy hand grenade. <laughs> like, is this really what's in there, you know? It can sound strange, but God's pointing to something specific. So let's just look at these two goats for a minute. The first goat is the sacrifice. That is the one who will shed its blood, a death penalty for all of the things that all of the people have done wrong. That when Aaron puts his hand on that goat, they're admitting those things, and that innocent animal is paying the price. I mean, don't you feel that when you're watching that video? There's just two little animals just eating their grass, and Chad says one of them's going to die. Oh, that's not fair. What did the goat ever do? But that's kind of the point. Something pure, something sweet, something innocent that is dying in your place. But let's focus on the second goat for a moment. This is the one called the scapegoat. So if the first goat is for the sacrifice that brings forgiveness, then the second goat, the scapegoat, that's like the forgetting goat. So that if God is going to forgive and forget, these two goats actually, in a way, represent both parts of that. Now again, scapegoat usually has a negative term for us, right? Like, show of hands, who likes to be the scapegoat? Hey, at least we are honest in this room, (laughs) okay? Like, nobody! I don't want to be scapegoated, you don't want to be scapegoated, and I'll bet your definition of this is right. The scapegoat is the one who takes all the blame, especially when they don't even deserve it. But if you're like me, I'm not opposed to looking for a scapegoat if someone else can take the fall for me, right? I remember uh, camping with my dad once when we were just kids, and camping was not like a big thing for me so it wasn't too often but I I think this was the first time because it's just one of those things dads do with their kids right and so it was me and my brother it was like kind of this father-son camping thing and they build a fire and we're all sitting around the fire and getting warmed up and then I see this one kid I think it was Chris Taglia it might have been Jim Cole I wouldn't be surprised with either of them puts his feet up in front of the fire and he's just watching as the fire burn, like blows bubbles with the rubber heels of his shoes. And it expands like this big, and he pulls his foot away, and it shrinks back down. It's a little wrinklier than it was before, but and then he would put him back up again. It would blow a bubble, and he would put him back down. And I said, I want to be like that guy. <laughs> I was a couple of years younger than him. I thought, that sure looked cool. That's like a science experiment. And I'm something of a scientist myself, so I put my feet up in front of the fire, and my shoes started to blow a bubble, and then the bubble popped. I ruined my shoes. Okay, my parents bought me those shoes, and my dad didn't see it happen, but he's nearby, and I got to figure out, like, it was an accident. Well, that's probably not true, and um, it's Chris's fault. Can I blame somebody else here? I mean, I wouldn't have done it if I didn't see him do it. Like, I'm looking for a scapegoat. I'm looking for somebody else to blame. And the reality is, Chris didn't put my feet to the fire, did he? Like, I'm just going to have to own this. But, but here's what it reminds me of. Because that's a funny example, but there are many times in our lives where maybe you've let someone else take the fall, or maybe you've had to take it. 
You know, maybe you've been the scapegoat, scapegoat and you get the guilt trip even though it wasn't you. And none of us like that. None of us want to be the scapegoat. And guys, this is one of the things I love about the Bible. Even for all the confusing pieces, for all the stuff that we can dig into, there's so much good stuff in there. But I love this because the Bible actually says that the scapegoat is a positive thing for one specific reason. You ready for this? It's not you. In fact, the Bible says you should not be the scapegoat and you can't be the scapegoat. Instead, this strange page of this ancient book written thousands of years before Jesus says that all you have to do is agree that you need a scapegoat. Just agree that you need a scapegoat. Look, look at what it says here. In the next verse, Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. Okay, so again, there's a lot of kind of strange pieces going on here, but look at what he's saying. Confess over it. Now, I don't know what your experience is with that word, with confess and confession and what that might mean to you, but it simply means to agree. The root of that word means to say the same thing as. And so in this context, what he means is you've got to be willing to say the same thing as God. That when the people would come and put their hands on the goat, what they're saying is, I have things that need forgiveness. And so you could imagine if God says, I am offering full forgiveness, and these scapegoats are a symbol of that. And if you say, I don't need forgiveness. I mean, we all make mistakes, but I'm not as bad as that guy. I've never done this thing. And, and besides, I'm not even sure I believe in all this weird goat stuff. Right? If, if, if I disagree that I need a scapegoat, then I don't have one. But if I'm willing to agree, if I'm willing to confess, if I'm willing to say the same thing as God, you know what? You're right. So if you think about like the Ten Commandments that Ryan showed us last week, that's part of why the Old Testament has this big collection of rules. If you think that's all the Old Testament is, let me just tell you, you're missing out big time. But some of it's in there because God wants us to know where are the places that we're going wayward. I mean, because you and I know, if I, if I stay on the path, I'm good to go. If I veer off, just, you know, just turn a couple of feet. I mean, I can literally, I can touch the path from here. But if I keep going in that direction, I might end up 10 miles away. <laughs> and the police are looking for me, right? And so God says, let me show you the way back. You may not even have realized that this is one of the things that veers you off path. Let me show you the way to come back. To just simply say, I agree with God. You see, that's not a matter of condemnation. We, we often think of confession as like, now this is the ugly part. Now I've got to admit it, and this is going to be terrible, and everyone's going to, what are people going to think, and what's God going to think? And, but look at the moment that he's giving them. Confession is actually the moment that things get good. You've been off, you've been hurt, now you come back, and at the moment of confession is the moment of forgiveness. And a lot of times we feel like, this is why I don't want to come to church, this is why I don't want to read the Bible, it's just going to be a big guilt trip. But notice that what he's offering in them is actually a forgiveness trip through the wilderness through this idea of confessing, agreeing with God, I need a scapegoat. 
So look at those same verses, because I want to highlight a few more words that you just heard me read. Iniquities, transgressions, and sins. Notice it says all their iniquities, all their transgressions, and all their sins, which aren't those just like three of the most fun religious words you've ever heard? (laughs) How many of you have transgressions and iniquities and sins? We won't do show of hands because we'd all have to put our hands up, and I know you're honest because I asked you a question earlier. (laughs) But here's what that simply means. Those big words simply mean that it's every time, every trace of every place we've ever been wayward from God's path. It's not just the big things. It's not just the things when we get caught. It's any time ever that we've been wayward from God's path, that we've missed his mark and his standard for our lives, that we've missed what he knows is best for us and the people around us. And we like to think that we're not going to leave a trace, right? That, yeah, sometimes you get caught, but, you know, like, over here I can cover this up, and, well, hopefully they don't dig into my old social media posts, and I'm hoping I didn't leave a trace, but here's the reality. Even if we cover it up from people, God knows all of it. And I think that's why he says all their transgressions, all their iniquities, and all their sins. So here's a simpler version of this same thing that actually comes from the time of Jesus. All right, so he takes this idea, and one of his close friends, John, wrote this in a letter. He says that if we confess our sins, he, that's Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see how he's using the same kind of language. There's no longer a goat here because now he's talking about Jesus himself. That Jesus is the one, God in the flesh, who steps forward and says, I am offering you forgiveness for." all of it. So if you ever approach the Bible, pick up the Bible, think about the Bible, and you're afraid that what's in here for you is a guilt trip, there will be moments where you think, oh man, that's, that's just like me. But every single one of those is wrapped around this truth of forgiveness that is available to us, no matter what it was that you just thought of. That the Bible is a forgiveness trip, not a guilt trip. In fact, when you feel that, here's essentially what Leviticus 16, all this stuff with the goats, you know what it's really saying? Hey, let the goat bear the guilt. Let the goat take the guilt trip. And then you can stay and we'll have a feast and we'll all be reunited and it's going to be a good time because you're not wayward anymore. That was the story of the prodigal son that that Kansas song was leaning into. He comes back thinking it's going to be all guilt trip and maybe I can just like sit in my dad's house and be a servant or something and at least... And his dad says, you're back, we're throwing a party. That is what God is inviting us to in Leviticus 16. That is what the scapegoat is all about. That's why it's such a positive picture in the Bible, because that's what allows them to be reunited with the people, reunited with God, and let something else bear the guilt. It says there, the goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. You see, the idea is that they are removed completely. Every mistake, every wrongdoing, all of it. Now, you may not know this. I I just learned this recently. But what Leviticus 16 is describing is actually the Jewish holiday, Yom Kippur. And so that's actually coming up in like two weeks. If you go home and check your calendar and you look at those Jewish holidays, tomorrow is Rosh Hashanah, 
which is the start of 10 days of people confessing their transgressions, iniquities, and sins in the Jewish faith. 10 days of trying to remember all the stupid stuff I probably have done in the last year because these goats only happen once a year and I got to get my forgiveness. And 10 days later, I think it's September 15th, 16th this year, is Yom Kippur. Now the thing is they can't do the goats anymore because they no longer have a tabernacle. They built a temple to replace it. But they no longer have a temple either. And yet they still reflect on this every year. And my friend Michelle, uh, Michelle Van Loon, she's an, an author now and so she's written about some of her experience, but she actually grew up in a Jewish home, practicing Jewish household, reflecting on these things, saying, even though I don't have goats, even though we can't do that full-on sacrifice without the temple, that was still 10 days every year where her job was come up with everything you've done wrong, make the big list, because it's time to confess all of it if you want to be in good, God's good graces for another year. And then hopefully six months in, you don't like mess up again. But since you will, we'll do it again next year, and then we'll do it the year after that. And, you know, she talks about, as a kid, just the anxiety that she felt every year. What if I forgot something? What if I didn't confess enough? What if I didn't mean it enough? What if there was like that one, because like, I mean, would they put their hand on the goat in front of everybody and say, I bet you most people didn't say everything. What if I left something out? And then you, you receive this forgiveness, and the next day it's like, oh no, I made a mistake again. I'm 364 days away from the next goat. I need a scapegoat now, and I'm a year away. What if something happens? Or what if... And she just talks about the pressure that built up, even as a child, thinking about that. Then as she went on through her life, and she experienced kind of both things that a lot of us have, real mistakes that she made and real hurts that people did to her and bearing this burden of guilt that it must be my fault because I didn't confess enough. Maybe God's punishing me. Maybe I'm beating myself up. Maybe I'm not forgivable. Maybe I'm not forgiving because there was something I forgot when I was five. I don't know. See, and that's why this is only a shadow so even today, people that try to observe this without Jesus, they're celebrating a shadow. But Jesus is the real thing. He's the one that cast that shadow. It was just a picture of who he was going to be. And so Michelle would tell you that what set her free from all of that was when she discovered Jesus. That when she discovered that Jesus is her scapegoat, that Jesus talks about his death, his resurrection, the things that we celebrate at, at, at Easter. He said it was once for all. Not every day, not every week, not every month, not every year, not to try to keep coming back, not to check the rules again and realize, ah, I blew it again, and now what if I'm not forgiven? And now what if God doesn't love me? Jesus says once for all that he is the sacrifice, that he is the scapegoat, that forgiveness for everything Michelle did wrong, past, present, and future, is forgiven. Because she agreed that she needed it, she came to that scapegoat, Jesus Christ. Guys, the same thing is available for you and I. And, and I know that as I say that, as much as like the whole goat thing sounds strange to us, 
I know that for a lot of us, the whole Jesus thing still sounds strange too. And so what I would just encourage you with is that every one of us, like on our, let's do this. Let's just say just Drew, (laughs) on my most standoffish day, I like to think that I didn't do anything wrong. Because I wouldn't have done that if you didn't do that. And besides, I should be angry because, and, and whatever else I can mix in there. And hey, we all make mistakes. And well, I'm no different than that guy. And you know, why, why should I have to feel guilty for this? On my most honest day, I take pretty much all of those same things and realize, actually, God, if I agree with you, that was the wrong thing to say. That was selfish. That was unkind. You know, whatever it is, we all have those things. And right in that moment, instead of a guilt trip, I get to agree with God, hey, these are some of the things I need forgiveness for. Thank you for your forgiveness. There's such a blessing, such a gift, such a freedom in living that way. I've found it. Michelle has found it. And it comes through that scapegoat. And so I want to show you, this is a, this is a picture of the Judean wilderness Because what it described in that passage was that this particular goat, the scapegoat, they lay their hands, they confess all the sins, and then they take it out into the wilderness. They don't just send it out, because what if it comes back? Somebody takes it far out into the wilderness, where you see there are no houses, there are no tents, there are no people, because they don't ever want to see this goat again, right? And they leave it there. The picture there, in fact, the way you could actually translate the Hebrew word for scapegoat It is the goat of complete separation. The goat that completely takes away everything that you regret, that you've done wrong, completely gone. Think about what that means as a picture of forgiveness. That it's not just ho-hum, okay, I guess we all make mistakes, but I can't stop thinking about what you did and I might bring it up tomorrow. God's saying, I want you to see a picture that it's not only forgiven, it's removed. It's no longer with you. It's not that I have to keep forgiving you because I keep thinking about it. He says it is complete separation. That is what the scapegoat is all about. In fact, in another place in the New Testament, Hebrews 8.12, it describes it this way. And this is, again, this is one that's written now after the time of Jesus. After he's explained how all of this is pointing to him. And yet... This New Testament book is actually quoting the Old Testament. I just tell you that so you know this is what God has always said. That even the Jewish person on this adventure with God in the Old Testament should be able to look at these same words and realize his plan. He says, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Is that how you think about God? When you open this book, do you expect him to say, you know what's wrong with you? I'll tell you, and I won't let you forget. Do you expect it to drag you down? It may have correction. (laughs) It definitely has correction. But it's to build you up with forgiveness, with mercy, that God says when they come to me in their unrighteousness, in their lawless things, in all that stuff, I'll be merciful and I'll remember no more. I love this picture because that's really the forgetting part. 
right? When we say forgive and forget, what we mean is, and please don't bring it up anymore. Don't hold it against me anymore, right? Forgive and forget. And that's what God's saying. I will remember no more. But how is that possible for God? Like, he's supposed to be omniscient, isn't he? If he knows everything, how does he forget? Is that a weakness? Well, really, it's more functional. And it reminded me of a story. Just a few weeks ago, my wife and I were celebrating our 15th anniversary um, and just having a ton of fun. And, and so we took this little trip, and part of it was to go back to the first places that we lived when we were married. So we parked in the same parking lot at our first apartment where we used to carry in the groceries. And we, you know, we peered in the door because we don't have a key anymore, so this probably looked creepy. But, hey, we used to walk down the hallway, and that's where the, you know, that big dog was, and we lived over here. And, and then we took a walk around the pond that was at that first apartment. It was just kind of a really sweet moment to remember all of the years that have happened since then and you know, adding four kids to our family. And as we walked around, I, I was just telling her, oh yeah, I remember we used, to, we used to go around the park and we'd weave kind of between these buildings and sometimes we'd even go out into the neighborhood. And she goes, I don't remember walking in the neighborhood. I'm thinking, okay guys, like we didn't do it very often, but I remember walking in the neighborhood because I think it was the first time we walked in the neighborhood, it was the absolute worst knockdown, drag out fight of the first year of our marriage. Fortunately, that was the only time we ever fought, and it never happened again. Thank you for laughing. <laughs> if anybody tells you that, they're lying. I'm like, how does she not? Because I'm telling you, the neighbors in that neighborhood probably remember. Like, it was not good, and it was 99% me, and I remember what I was mad about, and I'm not saying it out loud right now, <laughs> but it was like, we were ripping into it. I'm like, well, if she doesn't remember this, I most certainly should not have brought it up just now. <laughs> but for some reason, I did. I was like, you don't remember walking in the neighborhood? And I told her what I just told you, that I remember this huge fight in the neighborhood. And she said, I don't remember that. But you know what? I just think it's amazing how far God has brought us in the last 15 years and how much we've grown together. And like the whole tone of our day and our trip was how amazing how much we've grown. That as, as like cheesy Hollywood movie as it sounds, we literally love each other more today than ever before. Not because it's easier today than ever before. She has seen way more of my mistakes than she ever thought possible, I'm sure, in the last 15 years. And yet here she is saying... I think I would use these words, that she forgives and forgets. Now for her, maybe there was a literal forgetting, but notice this. Even now that I reminded her what a huge jerk I was that day, she's still saying, I won't hold it against you. Why would she do that? I think for the same reason that God does. I think my wife loves me. And I'm thankful for that. And I think God loves me. And I think he loves you too. That when God says he will forgive and remember no more, the idea is there that it's functional. Of course, God knows what's coming in your future. He knows what's in your present. He knows what's in your past. And yet he's saying to you, I forgive you, and I'm not going to bring it up anymore. I'm not just going to try not to bring it up, but then when we get really upset, I say, well, well, you're the one who... No, he says, I've taken it away. It's lost in the wilderness with a goat somewhere, never to be seen again. In fact, that is exactly how Jesus is described. There's a place in Isaiah 53. This is one we usually read around Easter when we talk about his death, where he actually describes it this way. 
It says, but he, being Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So guys, that's like the first goat. He was wounded for all the stuff we got wrong. But then look at how this second part is is like the second goat, that all we like sheep have gone astray. Well, what do you know? (laughs) Every one of us has been wayward off the path. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, just like a hand on that goat, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, when you put these two things together, it's saying that it's available for everybody. And I love this. When he says all, it's not just for the things you remember. It's not just for the things where you got caught. It's not just for the things that, like, your ex would forgive you for or your parents would forgive you for or your kids would forgive you for because all of those are going to make the list shorter than all. But God says all their transgressions, all their iniquities, all their sin, all of those times they've strayed from the path, I will forgive them for. He laid them all on Jesus. And so the picture here, the message of the Bible, God's good news, his forgiveness trip for you, his way back to the path is to say that not only did Jesus die for them, but he also took them on so he could remove them completely. That in Christ, when God looks at you, he only sees Jesus. And look, I could tell you about all kinds of stories. I could tell you about my own life and things that God has set me free from that he has forgiven me for. You know, I could tell you about people who have been abused, people who have been the abuser. I could tell you about people who know the other one doesn't deserve forgiveness, but they give them forgiveness because of how God has forgiven them. I could tell you about people who are set free from alcoholism and finding forgiveness and healing and set free from pornography and finding forgiveness and healing, set free from just a negative self-picture and how that can drag them down and finding forgiveness and healing. I could tell you about marriages where they literally moved out and came back together because in God and in Jesus Christ they found forgiveness and healing. You see that this begins to affect us that not only is it that he's taken it away from me, but it reshapes who I am and how my life is then shared with other people. This is the picture that God has for us. And you know, I was telling you a little bit about Carrie Livgren from Kansas. So I found out that his story was not just that he was going to keep searching, but he actually did find what he was looking for. In fact, it's, it's kind of an amazing story. You can go look up the details to this sometime. But, but he describes how any religion that came across his path, if anybody mentioned it, if anybody brought it up, he was willing to pursue it. And more than just have a conversation, he was willing to try it, like do their little things and do their services or read their books or whatever it was, because he wanted to know what was truth. And there's stories about, you know, the guys in the, in the band in the back of the bus doing whatever it is they're doing, and he's up here trying to just dig into these religions and find out what's true. And for all of them that he tried, he found that there was nothing like Christianity. For all of the other places he'd even heard about Jesus, it was when he picked up the Bible, when he read things just like we've read today, that he said, now this is different. And he believed that this was true. 
But the self-encouragement he gave himself to carry on my wayward son, to keep exploring, to keep searching, to keep checking out who God is, led him to the goat. And I love that story because his search, you know, sometimes you hear this, and this is good too, but sometimes you hear it's like when people are completely down and out, right? But that song we heard this morning, that wayward son kicked off their fame. Like, they were about to get cut from their record deal, and then they released that song, which barely made it onto the album, and now everybody knows Kansas, and they're still around. So he was like at the height of success. What does it look like at the height of success to still explore God? To find out how God might actually want to support you in your success when I'm able to come to him and agree that I need a scapegoat. And so I hope you're on that journey. And in fact, guys, ladies, there's, there's stuff coming for you too, but just for the guys, we've got something coming up called Four Critical Decisions. We're bringing in Ken Kington. He's a comedian, and, and he's been here a couple of times, and he will be again but this is an opportunity where he's taking what he's heard from global leaders in all walks of life and found that they basically all made the same four critical decisions that led to their success. And as Ken dug into this, he found that all of them go back to, even if people didn't know it when they made those decisions, they all go back to the way that God has designed it. And, and so I'd encourage you, I think in your program today, there's a little handout that looks just like this. Four critical decisions. It's got the dates on there. We're doing Sunday nights and Monday mornings that starts uh, September 26th or Monday the 27th. But I would just encourage you that if you're on a journey like that guy was, if you're exploring who God is, this would be a great way, guys, to continue that search. To be willing, like Kansas was, to look at every nook, every cranny, every corner that you might discover how as strange as the goats are, they point to the reality that you can trust God to forgive and forget. And so I actually want you to hear one more song today. The band's going to come out and share a song with us that includes a line that says, I don't have to carry the weight of who I've been. I'm forgiven. That's the message I think God wants to give you today. And maybe that's something that you're just chewing on for the first time and that's okay. And maybe you think I'm every bit as weird as, <laughs> as goats and scapegoats and all that stuff and that's okay too. But just hear this, that, that this, if you wonder what's really in the Bible, this is what he's saying. You don't have to take the guilt trip. Let the goat, the greatest of all time, Jesus Christ, take that for you. So maybe even as you listen to this song, you know, maybe you just think about that. Maybe you just ruminate on that. But maybe you even try talking to God and just saying something like, God, I agree that I need a scapegoat. Maybe I'm not as bad as this guy. Maybe I didn't do that thing. But, but this is what I do know, Lord. This is what I do know, God. And, and I need a scapegoat. And I want to trust Jesus to be that scapegoat. Because then you don't have to carry the guilt you don't have to take the guilt trip. You don't have to bear that burden anymore because you have a scapegoat. Like you have the one who coined the phrase and he is the greatest of all time. Let me pray for you and then we'll listen to that song together. God, thank you that all through this book you offer us, instead of a guilt trip, a forgiveness trip. 
Thank you for guiding our way back to the path. And I just pray this morning, Lord, that any one of us who feels that need for forgiveness would find it in you, our scapegoat, our greatest of all time. And I'll pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.